Welcome to the Canadian Real Estate Investor, where hosts Daniel Foch and Nick Hill navigate the market and provide the tools and insights to build your real estate portfolio. Welcome back to episode 110 of the Canadian Real Estate Investor podcast. Today, we are talking about what home buyers want. It's a pretty important topic for any realtors, flippers, value-add investors, and even just prospective homeowners out there. My name is Nick Hill. I'm a real estate investor, mortgage broker, partner at Land Bank, but my favorite occupation, co-host of this podcast with my buddy, Dan. Well, thank you very much, my buddy, Nick. My name is Daniel Foch. I am a real estate broker at a company called Rare Real Estate. I'm an investor. I'm also a partner at Landbank, and I'm very happy to be a co-host of this podcast. Today's episode is a good one. Uh, we're taking a look at this Zolo article written by a friend of the show and fellow podcaster, Alyssa Davies. Her and Bridget Casey co-host the Money Feels podcast. Yeah. Yeah. Bridget and Alyssa kill it. They have a podcast. They have courses. They produce a ton of content. They're both writers. Go check out their stuff, Bridget and Alyssa Money Feels Podcast. Um, so again, Alyssa is a writer at Zolo. Zolo, which is Canada's largest independent real estate marketplace with over 8 million homes in their database and over 10 million people finding homes with them every year. So Zolo towers over the competition when it comes to Canadian realty, and that is from their website. This is not a plug for Zolo, even though we do like them. Uh, this is not a sponsored episode or anything like that. I, I think they're actually like the second most viewed site outside of Realtor.ca or second highest search traffic outside of Realtor.ca. Um, it's funny, you know, like I think real estate professionals would know this, but I think like our industry has done such a... I'm not going to say a bad job, but such a mediocre job at, of making the home search process easy in individual provinces. That why would we want that to be easy? Right. <laughs> and um, and so that you know, there's these third parties that have ba- basically built these platforms using something called IDX or Internet Data Exchange and Vow Virtual Office website, which is like a feed of all of the listings, and they basically just built a better better search platform around it, as well as some other things, shareability and stuff like that. And um, Zolo is one of them, but you often get most realtors have their clients send them listings from non real estate, like regulated real estate sites. So like, like Zolo or like Zucasa or House Sigma, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm sure all of you have seen or used what I'm talking Some about. Some little right known now. websites right there. Yeah. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, I mean, Alyssa and Zolo, they're a great source of info and shout out to Jason Billingsley, another friend of the show, co-founder, uh, who was actually kind enough to pick us up and drive us to our event while we were out in Vancouver. So anybody who was at that meetup probably met him. Yeah. He's a, he's a legend. Um, anyways, let's get into this article here, Dan, which actually, funnily enough, you and I contributed to so start us off here. Yeah, I will. But I also, th- I think it's funny that you left out the fact that I had to jump out of Jason's car and vomit into a bush on the way to the meetup <laughs> because I had food poisoning. 
Well, actually, we both had food poisoning. You just had it like 10 times worse yeah. than I did. It was uh, for anyone that was at that meetup. If you noticed Dan sweating profusely, it wasn't because he was nervous and going to the bathroom <laughs> regularly. Yeah, I, we, we, I didn't yeah. want to include this. Yeah, one that's a funny consent, story. So. Yeah, that's a really funny story. Yeah. So we had some some veggies and dip. Um, I had a lot more dip than Nick, apparently. But uh, and this was also right before we went on the Vancouver real estate podcast. Great guys over there, too. But we were sweating in that room as well. Yeah, it was. I, I mean, oh, I could man. feel it coming on through that recording. And I just remember we both got outside and I'm like, I got a barf. And you're like, oh, you too. So that's what we realized. <laughs> anyway, um, many of us spend a lot of time on, on real estate listing sites. This is what we do as investors and, and as home buyers too. We spend hours hunting our favorite kitchens, the perfect backyard, the ideal ensuite, so much so that 47% of Canadians spend between one to two years browsing real estate listings before they even start house hunting. So this is a pastime in this country. Home buyers know what they want. And you know when you look at a, a site like Zolo, it's their goal to help them or help the, the, those searching to further explore the trends and preferences. Yeah, honestly, you're right, Dan. It's so funny. It's like real estate window shopping online has become a legit hobby or a pastime. It's like, okay, I ran out of all the HGTV stuff to watch. Now let me go daydream on Realtor.ca or Zolo or any of the other ones. Um, anyways, 800 Canadians were surveyed for this to get to the bottom of their needs as home buyers, and they wanted to find the preferences that are shifting towards a need for less space and instead a need for more amenities and the outdoors. So despite rising prices, home buyers stay committed to the single family suburban dream home. Despite the high prices in major real estate markets, it says in the article, home buyers refuse to relinquish their commitment to single family suburban homes. The desire for outdoor space, a sense of community and a retreat from the urban lifestyle continues to draw buyers to the suburbs. This is interesting from my perspective because of COVID and all of that. And was that like a secular shift or are we just getting to the point where the millennial cohort is doing their suburbanization and it was just mm -hmm. expedited by COVID? Um, regardless of the stories we heard throughout the pandemic stating otherwise, homebuyers still prefer single family homes and the suburbs. A majority, 62% of Canadians prefer single family homes, a significantly higher percentage than those drawn to condos or apartments, which is 20% or townhomes, which is 10%. Now, Canadians are looking to escape the city by the looks of it. As for location, the suburbs reigned supreme in our survey with 71% of buyers looking to escape the city either to the suburbs, which made up 44% of that 71, or to a more rural community, which made up 27%. Conversely, only 29% of Canadians search for a home in the city center. So you'll have 27% of buyers looking in a rural community, 44 in the suburbs and 29% want to live in the city center. I guess, Dan, you and I fall into two different categories here as well. Yeah. I guess the question is what, like, and, and there's, as an investor, it's important to think about this stuff because tenants have similar preferences and, you know, you can often get a better deal in certain areas than, you know, towards an urban core. Um, I, I think it's, you know, if you were to guess or, research or determine what secular trend you think is going to happen for the next several decades. That's how you would decide where you're going to invest your capital from a real estate perspective. Um, 
The article goes on to say that in 2022, the preference for larger homes and increased living space during the pandemic caused a significant boom in house prices in Canada's suburbs, which we know. We saw that. You could see it in the price curve. You could see them run up. You could see them recoiling. You could see them kind of run up again in this spring. As remote work became more common, homebuyers opted for suburban areas, offering more square footage at a reasonable price point. Sellers can feel confident that demand is there if they plan to sell their suburban homes. And this was... this. This phenomenon taking place is actually one of the reasons that I originally got recognized by the media and, and you know, started kind of that trajectory of talking about real estate more broadly <laughs> because I was, I was really chronicling. I mean, I'm, I'm not an urban agent, right? I represented, I worked in the suburbs of the, of the greater Toronto area and I was in an, I was working in an area that had a lake and so it really started to see a lot of this demand piling up from people leaving the city during COVID. It was the highest um, highest growth in that first year of the pandemic. And it was actually the highest drop last year. And so the the, the phenomena, this, the, the mass migration from urban areas, the article says, led to a surge in demand for properties outside the city centers. Because of this, the gap in prices between downtown areas and suburbs continues to shrink. In 2016, suburban homes sold for 33% less than downtown properties. In 2021, that gap shrank to 10%, meaning that suburban homes are becoming increasingly popular. This is fascinating from my perspective because I think that, you know, if you believe that the cities will, you know, eventually return to some semblance of what they were, then that's a price dislocation potentially, right? That's a, it's an arbitrage. That's a, an opportunity for you to get the, the homes in the city at a better price than, Especially in a city like, well, most Canadian cities that are very suburban, even though they're cities, right? Like Toronto is a suburb within a city, really. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's funny with the city piece because I feel like all cities are a little bit transient, right? I mean, you, you hear about cities like, you know, Vancouver or, or Amsterdam or Berlin or something like that, which are very transient, meaning just people come and go all the time. But I feel like a place like Toronto or, or, or Vancouver, you know, people come, they live in the city from maybe 18 to 32 or something like that. And then it's, it comes time to, to go and look for more space and, and to, and, you know, that quote unquote settling down type, type mindset where, okay, you know, the, I'm going to try to get out of the rat race. I'm going to try to get a bit more space. I've got a kid, I've got a dog, multiple kids, multiple dogs, whatever it may be. And, you know, the one or two bedroom condo, cause we know they barely make any three bedroom condos. The one or two bedroom condos just don't suffice anymore. And, and then, you know, a home in the city is so much more expensive versus what you get for that same dollar amount. If you drive an hour plus. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, I think and what you're describing is a little bit more like the the density in the cities. I think like in, in Toronto you do you will see people go and start families because there are areas that you can move. I guess in the newly amalgamated city, Etobicoke, mm-hmm. Scarborough, etc. Those are basically suburbs. Um and you know, that would be kind yeah, of true like going Torontonians from, don't consider Etobicoke or Scarborough uh right. Toronto. But you know Yeah, but it's like in New York, you know, you go from your Manhattan to like a Queens or Brooklyn. Um, which are more exactly. more low rise still in the city. They're boroughs of the city, technically. Hit me with the next part of this article here. Yeah, let's start to look at unlocking the key features to focus on if you are a seller. So when exploring the ideal home for buyers, most respondents desire a three bedroom, two bathroom, 
which is actually a downsize compared to Zolo's 2022 results in a similar survey. That's probably just so in the past affordability, really, right? Like people just that's that's people adjusting their standards to price. Probably. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So in the past, it was the buyers were keen on a four bedroom, three bathroom. So we've dropped a full bedroom and bathroom here. However, this year's smaller home sizes seem to be something home buyers are willing to accept, likely due to, Dan, you beat me to it, affordability and manageability. But this is funny. So I went back to that other survey and pulled some data from it. And I figured you and I go back and forth because this is, this is interesting. So before we move on, let's take a quick look at some of the interesting pieces from the 2022 survey they actually divided it up into two separate categories what men want and what women want so great uh, that's like a peak mel gibson era movie yeah? <laughs> I was just <laughs> that and Braveheart. Okay, yeah, yeah uh, exactly so what men want when examining the top features the must-have and amenities the would-like list and again this doesn't have to be i mean we analyze home buyer trends because tenants also have preferences so take these things into account 51 percent of the 3300 survey respondents who self-identified as male listed the following preferences garage main floor bathroom main bedroom with an ensuite energy saving appliances walk-in closet updated kitchen dedicated office smart home uh, with internal wiring for Wi-Fi and smart home connection, walk-in pantry, media entertainment room. So I mean, yeah, pr- pretty good laundry list there of of um, add value features. If you're, you know, if you're if you're going to if you're trying to cater your your units to couples and your end users. Um, exactly. Now I'm gonna take the fun one and go the Mel Gibson route here. What women want um, out of 3,300. Survey respondents, 49 self-identified as female based off their answers. These are the top uh, in order of preference. Garage, tied for first between men and women. I feel like I feel like some of this is like they, I'm thinking, you know, the walk-in <laughs> pantry and the garage. It's like people want the other party's stuff somewhere, you know, somewhere yeah. for the other party's <laughs> yeah. stuff to be stored. I need my husband, uh, yeah, he needs to put his stuff oh, somewhere. All crap in the garage. Um. Walk-in closet, walk-in pantry, backyard retreat. I'm I'm there for that one. Hardwood flooring, updated kitchen, main bedroom with an ensuite, smart home. Again, similar thing. Dedicated office space and a fireplace. I'm I'm with the with the ladies on the on the backyard retreat and the fireplace for sure. Yeah, I I uh, I mean it's good. I like the list. It's uh, it's helpful too. Like as a I I don't necessarily. Uh, create units for young professionals, but I know a lot of our listeners do. And this gives me a good mm-hmm. idea of sort of what they want. Um, so the ideal home, despite their differences, men and women agree, did agree on quite a lot when it comes to the ideal home. In fact, there was quite a bit of consensus among all generations. So this is not just, I mean, we cater to probably an older type of tenant, I would say, Nick. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, and I th- I would I would just imagine basically with Zolo being, you know, a platform that's more used by the youth. I, I'm just you know, probably applying a bias in my head that this is young people when I'm reading these lists, but it says it does kind of transcend the generation. So what is it that home buyers want? They say, while every home buyer is different, the survey revealed several, several, several attempts to say that word, um, <laughs> several common features considered desirable. According to the survey respondents, the ideal home includes four bedrooms, three bathrooms, 
a garage, which 72% of people selected this as a must have. It's interesting because like you can slap a detached garage on a property and maybe put a, a laneway in it later in the future, right? Um, mm-hmm. for, for like not a lot of money. It just, it would depend on how much that premium is or how much of a premium they're willing to pay for a garage. Exactly. Also, they fill it with crap. So you, you are more likely to have them as a long-term tenant because they want, they, you know, they're less inclined to move. Although I, I, maybe, I, maybe you don't just want a long-term tenant. May- Maybe you don't want no, a long-term tenant. Maybe not tenant. everyone's garage is, is full with crap. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, Yours is neither. Our studio is in your garage, man. Yeah, Come it's on. not that bad, but uh, I'm, I'm sitting <laughs> in it right now. It's, it's not that good either. It's funny because I listen to this, like every once in a while, I listen to this like David Goggins motivation thing where he talks about mental garages, like people having to, like their their minds are disorganized while I'm working out and cleaning my garage simultaneously. <laughs> hilarious yeah <laughs> a lot of garage activity um but yeah i mean maybe you don't even want long-term tenants because you want you want to capitalize on the, the ability to increase rents due to high turnover so um the next one is a walk-in closet 59 percent of people selected this as a must-have a backyard retreat 48 percent selected this as a must-have 48 percent also selected a walk-in pantry hardwood flooring 47 percent and a dedicated office which is 46 percent I mean, that that's a pretty good list to me, right? Dedicated office. I think that's probably one of the, the main new ones, even, you know, in 2020, this is a, keep in mind, this is the 2022 survey we're referencing, not the one from this year that talks about this year, 2022, you had to have a home office. Otherwise you were working at the kitchen table with, you know, life happening behind you. And it was a little more hectic. So I wonder how things have changed. And on that note, let's get back to the 2023 survey. Um, this is for anyone who's doing renovations, flips, adding units, gut job rebuilds. Listen up because these are the must haves for, uh, renovations that sellers can make. So Dan, you want to go one for one here? Sure. Yeah. So, so, you know, the first one is in line with one of the big preferences that we've seen. And actually in a lot of century homes, they don't have these. Because yeah, it always freaks me out. Yeah. And, and this is one of the best ways if you're buying a century home to create value through renovation. Main floor bathroom. Seems like such an obvious thing because like in all the suburban homes, you know, you have that powder room right off the front door or right off the entrance in the garage, right? Builders started putting that in probably, I don't know, 20, 30 years ago is more of a standard feature. Um, but yeah, you know, a hundred years ago, you you know it was not a thing and so anytime you're in a century home you know it always feels awkward to to use the upstairs bathroom in someone's house if if you're just kind of there yeah it does not feel like getting, a very like, private space right it does right so build those main floor bathrooms if you're if you're buying you know older homes the second um must have feature is natural light i feel like this has been a big play with uh like any infill or greenfield stuff i'm seeing that maybe is a little higher end Big windows, skylights, these things go such a long way. Um, you know, it's not only is it a nice feature, but like natural light just, it's good for, it's just good for you. So include as much of that as you can. Yeah. I think we talked about this in the episode that we did with Mike from Sonapan as well. Like it's a really good way to increase the quality of life for tenants. And you see a lot of studies totally. around this in, um, in buildings for, 
um, for offices, right? Because they want to increase the productivity of human capital. So they they study this stuff. Land like you know, office landlords actually think about how natural light can make people work harder because that makes their space more valuable to mm-hmm. to tenants. So mm-hmm. natural light's a big one, and it really can inc- improve the quality of life for a tenant, making them you know happier, more likely to get up, go to their job, pay their rent, but also more likely to, to <laughs> you know be happy and and to continue to want to stay in the space and to continue to want to pay a premium for it if they are. Happy um, tenants, happy landlord. Yeah, there you go. So that, that's a real Nick Hill original right that's, there. Yeah. <laughs> First one ever. That's a shirt right there. Um, <laughs> hey, come on. <laughs> the next one is patio deck or outdoor space, which is interesting because you used to have a hard time. Um, you used to have a hard time re- recovering capital spent on outdoor spaces, landscaping, et cetera. And now because of COVID, um, that's changed a lot. Uh, the next one up is garage, which we've talked about extensively at this point not the mental kind that dan and david goggins go on about but this is the physical garage space <laughs> um next one is updated hvac which is interesting from my perspective but i i do i would agree that this is one of those things that can actually increase the marketability of a house because the buyers often when they're going to look at a house they'll kind of look at the big couple of things that have been done so your windows um, HVAC, so furnace and AC, and then the roof, because um, those are expenses that look. A lot of people don't have cash. Most people are buying houses with mortgages, and so they can't. You know, when they buy a house, the last thing they want to do is replace a furnace, etc. And so, usually, when you've done some of this stuff, it can help quite a bit. Yeah, totally. You know, I do find it fascinating that updated HVAC beat updated kitchen by one percent here, forty-five and forty-six percent. I, you know, the kitchen's a tough one for me because I feel like kitchen styles really come and go. You know, you've got the all white kitchen, you've got the, the more moody kitchens, you've got the, the lower island or the lower cabinets in the island painted a different color than the upper ones. You've got the waterfall islands. You know, do I have a sink? Do I have a pasta filler? Do I have a sink in the island? Um, there's all of these different things and whether you're, you just want a nice kitchen or whether you're a bit more of a, a home cook, home chef, even, um, maybe you want your kitchen designed in a specific way. So, you know, this is a tough one. Um, I, I usually don't recommend people renovate the kitchen too extensively. Um, if they're, if they're planning on selling and, and even in some cases it's worth it to, to leave the kitchen because you don't want to go and spend, you know, kitchens can get really expensive really quickly. You go spend 150 grand on a kitchen and someone comes in and they love the house, but they don't like your particular style of the kitchen. Um, that can actually probably hurt you. So if you are going to spend a bunch of money in your kitchen, make sure it is probably the most fluid, easy, easy to accept design. If, agreeable. If, if you know what I mean. An agreeable, agreeable design. Agreeable. That's, yeah, t- that's a better and way time- to say it. Timelessness helps as well, right? Exactly. Like, Classic beauty. Well, there's like there's that era of like this, the very sterile, like gray, everything, gr- like from like what, that was 10 years ago now, maybe 10, 15 yeah. years ago, everything was like gray, gray uh, laminate, you know. Oh, it's bad. Yeah, but that, you know, I mean, a lot of a lot of people were doing that. Even like now as a professional, you can go through a house and you can see what era that house was like flipped <laughs> totally. or renovated based on like the material choice that was or, popular. Or was like, built if it's never been, yeah, if it's never been updated. Yeah, but it, yeah, exactly. And it was like, oh, like this is, this was Home Depot sale. Like che- this was Home Depot's cheapest laminate in 2003, right? So yeah, here's you know, Builder Grade yeah. 1995. I love it. Soft pink and, and a lot of yeah, wood. Yeah, the dusty rose. Um, anyway, <laughs> yeah. and, and, and you know, flooring is a good conversation, right? So among the features, hardwood flooring still reigns supreme. 69% of home buyers prefer that. 
over carpet, tile, laminate, and luxury vinyl plank, which is interesting because I know a lot of landlords love luxury vinyl plank. I don't know if a lot of landlords are using hardwood because I, I, although the, you know, the old, the vintage oak strip does, um, it ages well. It's like super, super mm-hmm. tough. Um, so, you know, if you have oak strip in a, in a, in a, in a building, maybe just buff it and stain it. But, um, me, me personally, I'm, I'm more of a carpet guy, carpet, you know, right into the bathroom, you know, even that little carpet people have in like the top of the toilet seat. That's, yeah, yeah, that's matching. <laughs> you remember that one of those first places we went to together, it was carpet in the bath, the green carpet in the bathroom. Oh yeah. And some swinger mirrors on like the ceiling and stuff like that. Yeah. That was, that, that was, was a different bathroom. Definitely <laughs> some stuff went down in that bathroom. <laughs> um, to maximize a property in the eyes of a buyer. Sellers should consider incorporating a main floor bathroom and in good condition. This uh, the feature enhances convenience, accessibility, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We went through that when we were chatting about it. Um, other indoor features, um, uh, I guess they they had a list, but the um, mentions that sellers should also prioritize outdoor spaces now in present day. And I, and I think this is a great way to um, to apply that to, to multiplexes, you know, if you have shared outdoor living spaces, like, you know, if you put a nice parquette or something in the, in the yard, that's usable for multiple people. Um, it's like you're creating value for more than just one tenant, anything that's a common air, common, uh, area, you know, you're not, it's not like you're just putting a bunch of money into one suite. You're putting a bunch of, or, or putting a bunch of money into applying value for one tenant. You're applying it to, you know, something that'll create value for several of the tenants. Um, 50% of occupants favor a patio deck or outdoor space because they're giving up space inside with fewer bedrooms and bathrooms. Um, and, and rents would be no exception here. I mean, a lot, the same way that people are getting pushed out of housing purchases by affordability, rents are, are climbing the same way. So having a place to get outside, having extra space and to go relax, soak up the sun and have gatherings as well is, is critical to help people deal with that lack of affordability and that compromise. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think outdoor space never got the respect it deserved in like the tenant rental community kind of thing. I mean, we I've got a couple places that have larger porches and decks off the back and they're a massive selling feature, like huge selling feature. I mean, it's another full living space, right? Like and and, you know. Canadians, we really only get six months of, of true, enjoyable outdoor time. Um, and, and I think, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a huge place. So yeah, if you can make that a little bit better, put some gravel down and some chairs, if permitted, maybe a fire pit, if you're, you know, you're not too worried about liability or risk, um, you know, privacy, privacy fence, like this stuff goes a long way and, and it, and it will attract a higher caliber of, of people, in my opinion. It is interesting. Like, because you can actually almost like create a bit of a defense against like or or on your asset like um you know if somebody smokes in the unit as an example um and uh you build a nice outdoor space like I've literally seen this happen where somebody was able to you know get somebody to start smoking outside rather than in the unit and they'd been there for a long period of time and and you know in in Ontario it's one of the few things that tenants are not allowed to do in the yeah, landlord inside is not cool. No darts inside, but you know, I mean, it's it's tough to enforce without uh, it being in a multiplex where it's interfering with other people's air. And so, you know, in a in a single family residential home, the landlord wanted to obviously, you know, not have to deal with that when the tenant turnover happened and the you know there was a the smell and damage to the paint and whatever. And um, actually, creating a nice outdoor living space was able to or made it a- able 
to just kind of stop that from happening inside. So it, it's fascinating from my perspective how these can actually you know change individual behavior as well. And like designers talk about this stuff all the time. There's this concept called desire pass where people you know you know like when you're walking somewhere and there's like a, a path on the uh, you know like Johnson Green and Guelph. How there's oh, yeah. like you know there's like all these um, proper walkways, but then there's like literally a path like a clear path right across to the bus stop where people walk that's <laughs> the dirt the dirt road that's that's formed yeah so yeah exactly human beings communicate their behavior with just like what they do right and so love that so so basically yeah, i mean we look at a garage uh updated hvac ample natural light you know these are all things that are precious to to buyers so if you plan to sell your home keep these features in mind and consider how to present them when you're doing your showings, when you're trying to actually sell that property, right? Highlight your attributes. So prepping your home for sale is very important, um, but buyers do not value some of these steps equally. For example, potential buyers feel that staging and the exterior design are somewhat necessary, whereas cleanliness is extremely important. You know, I think, again, highlighting your attributes should be, should be a main thing. Let's talk about features sellers should not prioritize. So on the other hand, and this is interesting, Dan. So on the other hand, sellers may be aware of the features that buyers care about, but it's also important to know where to focus their energy. So, you know, these are things not to do. Um, the least important features include a mudroom with only 27% of people saying that's a must have. I agree with that. I mean, mudroom, I think that's a nice thing to have. You know, living in a condo, I do not have a mudroom. Dan, you want to take this next one? I feel like this is right up your the alley. The hot tub? Your big hot, big hot tub guy. <laughs> Time machine not included. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. Like I um, bought a place that had, you know, and when I purchased it, it has a hot tub. Never, I've never turned it on. I don't even know if it works because they're just maintenance nightmares and the seller just was like, I'm not warranting whether or not this thing works at all, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, so yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if that would be a, a super, if you're in luxury rentals, it might be among the list of things. Next on the list is pool. And then final one is is the basement suite, which surprised me. I know. It makes me a little bit sad. Least important feature. Now, again, this is the just the respondents of the survey, right? We, Dan, you and I didn't fill out the survey because we would have put basement suite at a definite must-have. Um, but this is different, right? This is this this transcends just investors. This is people looking for homes. However, I am still surprised to see that basement suite only makes up twenty one percent because we've seen basement suites change from strictly being okay. I can rent this out to a stranger to hey, my adult kids just had a, a child and they're moving back for a little bit, or uh, my son or daughter has graduated university and now wants a little bit of independence but can't afford their own place, so I'm going to charge them a bit cheaper rent. Or, hey, mom and dad are getting a little older. Um, you know, I believe those are called in-law suites, not basement suites, right? Different name, same thing. Um, but uh, but I think that, you know, 21% seems low for just the use cases that we see these ADUs taking on nowadays. Yeah, totally. Um next up it says you know there's actually a shift happening in the type of style that people are are seeking so while bungalows and victorian so century homes remain popular contemporary style takes the lead so more and more canadian home buyers want the contemporary style and it's gaining popularity among home buyers uh, the, these style of homes have clean lines minimal, minimal design uh, modern materials. In other words, contemporary homes represent a departure from traditional designs. On the other hand, bu bungalows, distinct architectural style came 
around the early 20th century. These single-story houses typically had a low-profile design. They usually have a front porch and a simple, charming aesthetic. In addition, bungalows are known for their efficient use of space and functional floor plans, creating a seamless flow between rooms. Um, the kind of antithesis of that would be Victorian homes, which are a mix of architectural influences over the years, and a lot of them based on just pure utility. Um, but also, they have a lot of like decorative trim, woodwork, and then elements such as you know the gingerbread detailing. I live in a Victorian now, so um, actually, it might even be pre-Victorian because it's uh, 1850. But, um, wow. yeah, but, um, it, it's fascinating from my perspective to see, cause I've, you know, it was like the same thing when mid-century modern happened. Like a lot of those mid-century split levels, people were like, oh, like nobody's going to buy that. And now they're like, now they are heritage in their own right. Right. They are. And you know, it's funny. I, I've, you know, I was going to ask you, are you a Victorian bungalow or a contemporary guy? But I mean, obviously you're a Victorian or a pre-Victorian I mean, I, guy. I think I have like a lot of love for for all of it. Like if I was going to like, I don't know if I was going to build something or like if I was going to buy like my dream house, but this was kind of like the best thing that we could get within our budget. Um, and I, like, I love the house, but I, I think, um, I do, I do appreciate all of them. I think each one has like a different role in your life cycle as a user of space too. Right. Like I will certainly live in a bungalow one day when I cannot go upstairs. <laughs> yeah. So I guess it goes on to say in the article that the connection to the outdoors and the ability to draw in natural light through oversized windows aligns with all three home styles. This makes sense because natural light is that must have that we mentioned for buyers. Um, maximizing natural light and indoor outdoor connectivity is crucial no matter what style of, ho- of home the buyers prefer. And I-, I would agree with this. I think this is a great advice for landlords um, to consider. And, you know, the more that you can, like and it just literally from a pure wear and tear utility perspective, the more time that people can spend outside, the less time they're wearing on the house through these things. Yeah, great point. Um, okay, let's move on here. This one's a shocker. Sixty six percent of Canadians say that home price is a deal breaker. Da da da! Wow, shocker. Um, when purchasing a home, it's no surprise that the price plays a significant role in decision making. A staggering 66% of Canadians consider the home price to be a deal breaker. A recent Mortgage Professionals Canada MPC survey found that a record 33% of Canadians believe they'll never be able to afford a home. So there's this quote from this guy, the number one deal breaker in anything is usually price, says Nick Hill, the Canadian real estate investor podcast host. Who's that guy? We have too many people that need to, that need housing and not enough houses. And this, you know, creates excess demand, which we know leads to, to prices um, coming up. Did you just get me to quote you in an article that we were reading on our own podcast? <laughs> well, I couldn't really I be suppose. quoting myself, quoting myself now, could I? Yeah, I guess inception level quoting or whatever. Uh, what What's that exhibit, uh, pit my ride meme format? <laughs> Saying memes aloud never really works. Um, but it, it is interesting from my perspective because- I've always said like the price has two levers too, right? There's the price, like the actual price that you pay. And then there's the interest rate, which is another price. Cause you, you're right now you're paying about totally a quarter of the, the mortgage amount in interest over the first five year term. So goes on to, you know, to discuss that is, I guess we'll quickly go through other, other deal breakers, homes condition, 61% location, 53%, um, neighborhood, 46% size, 40% and the age of the home mattered to 30% of respondents. 
And, and, you know, the question is, is price the only factor? Gen Z is the only group to give the price a backseat when considering their home purchase, which is interesting. Um, to them, the home condition is what matters. And this is really fascinating from my perspective, because I think that as we go through the generations, um, end users of homes become less and less um, good at, or less and less handy, I guess is the right word to say it. Like I, there's totally, there's like a diplomatic way to say that, but like, um, <laughs> and so, you know, I think that con- condition would matter to them because they're less likely to have the skills to fix it or less likely to have the will to fix any problems. So buyers are often looking for well-maintained and move-in ready home, obviously. As a result, buyers are ready to walk away when they do a walkthrough and start noticing issues like structural problems or even just minor repairs, but extensive repairs obviously are more important. You know what that sounds like to me? Opportunity. 68% of Canadians say a home's overall condition is extremely important. And this is because 47% of buyers, this goes back to what we've talked about many times, Dan, 47% of buyers are only willing to do minor cosmetic upgrades to a home, such as painting, or updating fixtures, fixtures meaning like lights and you know your dishwasher, that kind of stuff. So only 32% are eager to do more substantial renovation and upgrades, such as a roof or foundational repair. So that 32% will be the add value people. Yeah. And this is good to know as an investor, because these are people that you're potentially selling home for. If you're a flipper, right? You, you know that there's still value to create for doing some of these more major renovations that people don't want to do. Um, you know, a lot of people I think made a lot of money doing purely cosmetic flips for the past little while. And I would imagine that era is potentially behind us, but there might be merit in doing more significant flips or renovations based on this data. Location, location, location is another crucial factor that can deter potential buyers. They look at neighborhoods' reputation, proximity to amenities, schools, transportation. Um, these can all impact cho- people's choices. The, if the area doesn't feel safe or clean or have good amenities, they will obviously reconsider their purchase. And people have these similar preferences based on where they want to rent, right? You can often command a premium for better locations. Yeah, 100%. And medical facilities is actually now a a vital must-have. So, um you know, outside of parks and outdoor recreation, 64% of the respondents chose medical amenities as one of their top. Um, and I think this is probably due to having an aging population. Boomers want to and need to be closer to hospitals, clinics, doctors, and I think their family members, you know, follow them there, get closer to them, stay close. For sure. A running theme throughout this survey is Canadians' deep desire for finding ways to incorporate their the outdoors into their living space and lives, says Jordan Kay, spokesperson for Zolo and another friend of the show. It makes sense, given that Canadians historically value outdoor activities, a trend that was amplified during the pandemic. It also makes sense that most homebuyers prioritize medical facilities and neighborhood amenities. A recent Angus Reid Institute poll found that 9 million Canadians have chronic difficulty accessing healthcare, which is just wild from my perspective. Yeah, that's that's really disappointing to hear. Um, so let's look at the top three amenities uh, and what they show for Canadians. Um, really, you know, their need for, for balance. It's just the outdoor stuff just keeps coming back and, and back. And, uh, you know, it's also good food, convenient shopping, and desire for accessible healthcare. 
uh, is a big one. So Dan, let's go back and forth here for the most important amenities for buyers. I'll start things off here with a winner at 64% parks and outdoor recreation. Huge. Just behind that at 63% is the shopping and dining you mentioned. Then we see 50% needing medical facilities as a must-have. 44% value public transportation or access to it. 43% need good schools in close proximity. 36% want pet-friendly facilities. It was interesting. Let's just give you like, so you've got a third of, of your occupant pool wants to be able to include pets, um, which is interesting from my perspective because it's a big, always a big question in the landlord-tenant discussion. I once was at a triplex that had 11 cats in the three units. Yeah, I don't think that's the majority of pet owners. To be fair. <laughs> I sure hope not. That would be thousands of cats. But in a lot of um, in a lot of uh, landlord and tenant legislature, pet clauses are unenforceable. So, yeah, you're very right. Uh, we see community facilities uh, at 31 percent, 28 percent entertainment and cultural attractions. And finally, this one caught me a little off guard. Only 24% need access to highways and transportation hubs as a must have. That, you know, it, it seems a bit like of a difference. You have everyone moving out of the city. You'd think people need access to the highways to get back to the city, but uh, survey says otherwise. Well, I guess it's just that, you know, if you're already moving so far away, like what's an extra five minutes on your drive once you're off the highway kind of thing? I, or, I feel or like 15, 20, 30 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but I I don't know. It's it, interesting from my perspective. Um, let's talk about generational differences because I find this is interesting, and you know, a lot of landlords can kind of segment their. You know, if you're starting at running a business, you should be thinking about who your customer is and customer segment segmenting, and doing that in doing that. Um, you know, you you could t- kind of tailor the marketing of your unit or the type of unit that you want, and and this gives us some indication into what a lot of these purchasers or potential tenants what it might be looking at. So I'll do Gen Z awesome little image here with the sideways hat. This guy's definitely bussing, bussing, no cap. Um, they <laughs> want single family homes. Everybody wants single family homes, um, but they want four bedrooms and two bathrooms. It sounds to me like they've just yet Gen Z's have just yet to realize that they're not going to get what they want. Cause they're the only ones who want <laughs> more than three bedrooms. <laughs> they want th- four beds, two baths, but style wise, they like contemporary houses so, and keep that in mind because again, as they move through the population curve, that's going to kind of stay in style as the other ones might, the other styles might expire or become extinct. The demand might become extinct as, you know, our boomers and Gen X's tragically perish uh, through the passing of time. But um, amenities, shopping and dining matter the most to, to Gen Z's um, because they, in most cases, don't have kids yet. And the biggest deal breaker for them is the condition of home, probably because they are less handy than previous generations and want a house that's fully move-in ready so that they don't have to do anything. And I don't mean any of that offensively. It's just people are entitled to their preferences. Good for Gen Z for having those high standards. Yeah, love it. Everyone should treat themselves like a Gen Z. So just a reminder before we get going here, uh, Gen Zs are in the range of 11 to 26 years old right now. So those 11-year-olds really are concerned about the condition of home. That's great to see. Uh, millennials are 27 to 42. Gen Xs are 43 to 58. And boomers are 59 to 70 years old. Uh, the millennial also wants a single family home, three bed, two bath. They want the colonial. They want those little gingerbread peaked windows, gothic style columns on the front porch. 
Um, which is interesting because I feel like everything with style just, just comes and goes, right? Like I, I bet you most of those millennials when they were 10, 15 years younger, didn't like those houses, but now they do. Their most important amenities are parks and outdoor rec. I feel that. And the deal breaker for them is price. Yeah, it makes sense. I would say the parks and outdoor rec is probably a function of having young kids um, and, you know, wanting to, to, to go places with kids because it's the same in Gen X as well, parks and outdoor recreation. The only difference in their preference is that they want bungalows um, rather than the colonial homes. Uh, but the same thing, the deal breaker for them is price. So these are consumers who have been punched in the face with the reality of housing affordability for a sustained period of time in their home search rather than your Gen Zs who have not yet experienced that and still all want four bedroom homes. Talk to me about boomers, <laughs> the most, perhaps the most demonized of our, of our, uh, home owners. Yeah, here. for sure. Well, it's just, it's funny because you, you commented on the first little emoji character here, the Gen Z with the sideways hat, which I, which I love. <laughs> the millennial just is a, is a, a, a just a, like a standard looking female. And then we've got a Gen X with a mustache. I probably just Which, I don't know if that he just came back from doing like a scotch nosing or something gen <laughs> x like that and then the boomer we've got a, a little old man balding man with spectacles so the the emojis are you know they hit home boomers want single family homes three bedroom two bath bungalows shopping and dining are their most important amenities and the deal for breaker for them is price so no surprise there. I mean, the, the the most interesting thing here for me is, I think you pointed it out, Dan, maybe Gen Z is just, you know, maybe maybe we'll start building for Gen Z's for their expectations. Um, and maybe those expectations will change and adapt uh, as they become more aware of how tricky it is to buy a house in Canada. Uh, anyways, Dan, take us to the last few points we're going to make here. What are home buyers okay with right now? Yeah, they're okay with less, right? They're making compromises. The ideal house size is shrinking. And and this is, we talk about this a lot on the show, right? P, you know, people are starting to make compromises due to housing affordability in Canada um, because of price. The average home price in April when this was written was 716000 in Canada. In contrast, the average salary is just $60,000 around. This is likely why buyers are okay with less. They're, they're slowly seeing the ideal housing size shrinking. There was actually like, I think it was a TED talk about this. So there's this idea of Moore's law, which is that um, the size of a microchip, I think halves every certain period of time. Um, but somebody mentioned that real estate experiences a diminishing demand for physical space through the years as well. Um, because, you know, our generation doesn't have this massive need for storage like our parents' generation did. You know, we don't have milk cartons full of records, right? We don't have a giant <laughs> tube TV or a DVD collection or a VHS collection or whatever other stuff that the previous generations needed to consume information. Like we have magazines yeah yeah giant tube um tvs or tube computer monitors on big desks right there's another like study called how built or book i think called how buildings learn which is like how buildings over time respond to these uh changes um yeah which is fascinating because like even just the tv right like a tv went from there wasn't one so the house was centered around the fireplace to now the house, you get a lot of those houses where they were actually designed to have a TV in the corner, right? A giant TV in the corner because they took up so much space or against the wall. And then now we've got to the point where it's so slim that, you know, 
you get condos where basically you have a couch on one wall. It's like a hallway, right? You've got a couch on one wall yeah. and a TV on the opposite wall. Um, anyway, I, it's just really interesting stuff. We should actually maybe do like a full episode on on how on to. how buildings learn yeah. or the Moore's law stuff because there's some other studies of like where people walk in their houses and people only use like twenty something percent of their total space. It's it's like human behavior. It's it's totally human behavior as well, right? And as as technology, it's human behavior and technology within the home and how it changes things. We should definitely yeah. do an episode on that. Yeah. And I think that in combination with, you know, the boomers um, leaving the, those massive houses that they're only using 20 something percent of, that's what creates the opportunity. We talk about this all the time on the show, right? To, to reuse, figure out yeah. a way to reuse that space. So, I don't know. Yeah. Totally. So the article goes on to say, and, and, and it closes out, um, buyers are willing to downsize and prioritize amenities and outdoor spaces. With this in mind, it is still important to acknowledge that key features such as a main floor bathroom, an updated kitchen, ample natural light are important for buyers, as are the price, home condition, and of course, location. So if you plan to buy, sell, renovate, or even flip a home in 2023, Understanding these preferences will help you make better decisions in this continually evolving and changing real estate market we find ourselves in. Yeah. So go hope you got a ton of value out of that. Yeah. Go check out the article on Zolo. They have awesome visuals as always. They do such a great job on creating content um, and they're great folks to work with. And um, I would say check out realestatemerch.ca as well. Go buy some some pretty hilarious real estate merch and um, happy check out, tenants, happy landlords will be coming out soon. <laughs> check out uh, realestatemeetups.ca as well. We'd love to see you at a meetup. Uh, we just had a great one last night, Missing Middle Meetup in Toronto. Um, shout out to everybody who made it out to that. And September 12th, we'll be doing our bigger events uh, coast to coast. So would really like to to see all of you out there. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you soon. The Canadian Real Estate Investor Podcast is for entertainment purposes only, and it is not financial advice. Nick Hill is a mortgage agent with Premier Mortgage Center and a partner in the G&H Mortgage Group, license number 10317, agent license M21004037. Daniel Foch is a real estate broker licensed with Rare Real Estate, a member of the Canadian Real Estate Association, the Toronto Real Estate Board, and the Ontario Real Estate Association.